Tom Bernard Show with co-host Catherine Brandt, Doug Sprinthal, Alex Brandt-Bernard Rasmussen, Mike Bryant, and Andy Brandt-Bernard. We'll be right back after these fabulous words from Doug and Mike and Tom and Mike and Doug and Tom. The First of all, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. The commercial, it never ends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, he, he's at you again. I love that. Mike, are you going to go to the auto show? I will not be going to the auto show. Zach, it's going to be cool. I, I have a guest <laughs> coming in for the third hour for the Car Selling Secrets. He's the head of MADA. You'd actually like him a lot. He's a really interesting guy. MADA is Minnesota Auto Dealers Association. They host the auto show every year. They do a lot of pack stuff at the uh, Capitol as well. So he's a, he's a great guy, uh, kind of a friend. Looking forward to having him here. So if you're tuning in for the third hour, you will get to meet Scott Lambert. Is that at the convention center? It is at the convention and that's center. And yep. it's been about five years there now? Uh, I think it's probably more than, than 18. Oh, at the convention center. Yeah, because okay. there was a year that they redid the convention center that they had it at the old Metrodome. Okay. Which I was, I was old folks day is on Wednesday. It's the only time it's <laughs> opened in the morning. And these poor oh people, God. they'd walk all the way down to the down those stairs, and then have to go back up. And most of them didn't make it. Mm. <laughs> wow, we lost a lot of folks in that year. But it's at the convention center. Starts this Saturday. God. Nice. Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com, Michael Bryant, Doug Sprinthal, Brad Sean Bryant. What's the latest? Well, if you get uh, in an accident or if you have a slip and fall, talking to the adjuster and giving them a statement doesn't work out very well for you. They know what to ask for. They know what the problems are. They know where to ask certain questions. We all know that. Oh, what I want to hear about is I wish Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> what do you think of him? Terry Bradshaw, he, I just saw him in a commercial where he's in a tub. So, you know, wow. the guy will do anything. Anything. Apparently. You know? Apparently. Apparently. Yes. So, that's my advice. And if I wish everybody Seeking. knew that advice. Yes, it's true. Seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Bryant. What do you think of that? That worked. Who's your bass player, Doug? That's me. Oh, oh good God. Stop blowing your own horn. <laughs> Cassie said to play bumper music. So you brought your own. Uh, she did. Yep. She did indeed. He wrote and played all she of these indeed. last night. Nice. Last night? No, yeah. uh, it was a couple years ago. We <laughs> decided to do, my wife and I decided to do an album for fun in the basement so we didn't kill each other. And So we picked 1974. We went and picked songs that had been released in 1974. So it's a little bit of everything. There's some little feet on there. That's Shaka Khan and Rufus and Robin mm. Trower and uh, Steely Dan. It was a blast. We had, it took us about three months to do it, and we didn't kill each other. So Nice. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um I will not rat out the person, the listener that sent this to me, but it's a listener to the show. Will we have to listen to Doug's 70s porn music if we tune into the third hour? <laughs> My wife works for a Catholic nice. church, Joe from Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, you took a guess at who it might have been. Just a shot in the dark. Oh wait a minute! Joe now tells me wants me to <laughs> Joe now tell that me. I should rat oh, him. Wow. That I should rat him out. Uh, okay. <laughs> I like it. Uh, we are back, ladies and gentlemen. We had bumper music, the whole shooting match. Tell me when Dr. John Huber is ready to go, Andy. He is. Oh, he's ready to go. Good, mm-hmm. Dr. John Huber. How are you, sir? I am doing amazing. How are you today? You always do amazing, though. You're always in a good mood. I don't know what the hell it is. 
You know, honestly, if you say that, and you actually tell people you're amazing, it's amazing how you just pick, pick yourself right up, you know. So I oh, do I it suppose. even when I'm feeling bad because then I feel great after I say it. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, Main Street Mental Health, MainStreamMentalHealth.org, <laughs> website Dr. John Huber. Your earliest childhood memories may be false, and 50% of people remember events that never happened. That is a fact. And uh, I, Dr. So John, true. did I ever give you the example of, of one that happened to me? It was an no, episode no, of oh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb your and my memory yeah. is it was trick-or-treat. And uh, kids were coming to Larry David's door for trick or treating, <laughs> and he refused to give tri- tricks uh, or excuse me treats to kids he thought were too old to get them. And I remembered it as when he backed his Prius out of the garage and then put down the garage door. It said "bald asshole" on the garage door. It actually said that on the front door of the house. So I had I had somehow made it funnier to myself by putting it on the garage door. Because then it had to drop exactly. down for you to see it. That's weird. Why do we uh-huh. do that? Well, a lot of th- times we do that, and it's not even a- intentional. We don't even realize we're doing that. For example, right. you know, the 10-year anniversary of 9-11, all these people talking about how they w- remember watching the first plane hit the World Trade Center. Well, the problem no. is there were no cameras on the World Trade Center. They only got recordings of the second plane. So right. we we have such an emotional connection with that, and we 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 can visualize now what it what it looked like. So we we just extrapolate, and every time we tell a story, we're altering our long term memory just slightly. So you tell the story, and it evolves and changes, no matter how accurate you think it is. In fact, ninety six percent of wrong convictions in the United States are due to eyewitness testimony. Uh, it doesn't surprise me in the least. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but the KQRS Morning Show, the morning show I've been on for 34 years, got credit for being the first news outlet to release the story that the World Trade Center had been attacked by terrorists. We got, I, we got, Honestly, well, wow. here's the, here, well, here's how that happened. We, like everyone else, saw the World Trade Center, and the report at the time was a light plane had hit the World Trade Center, and I said to the people on the show, there is no way a light plane is going to put a 100-foot by 100-foot hole in a building like that. No way that was a light Absolutely. plane. Absolutely. So we're kind of going, well, what is this all about? And then all of a sudden we went, this is terrorism, and a couple of seconds later, that second plane came in. You did see the second plane hit the the other tower, uh, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, that is correct. But yeah, I, they were trying to pass it off as some light plane guy lost his course and he hit the building. No, no, that that hole was way no. too big for a light plane. But uh, it's interesting how we change that. I saw the first plane go in. No, you didn't. Nobody saw the first plane go in unless you were on the street looking up at Nobody the building. Did. Well, we were just we were just or, talking about or this. sitting in the office looking out the window. Yeah, yeah. He's, oh, God, can you imagine that view? Uh, oh, man, that just chills down my spine right there. Definitely. Yes, yeah. it definitely does. But can you guys, like Doug and, and Alex, Andy, uh, and Michael, do you remember where you were when you you heard that that first plane hit the World Trade Center? I was driving uh, 3rd Avenue in St. Cloud. And I was I had the radio on, and I heard you're talking about it, and then I switched over to 
to uh, another news station. <laughs> if you say NPR, get out right now. No, I don't know what I said. <laughs> Turncoat. But, but I heard about the Turncoat. other about the other planes hitting, and uh, and it was like something weird is going on. And I just gotten out of the courthouse. I had an appearance that morning, and it went from total non-security to later on that afternoon. It was everything was secure that you couldn't get into any place. Right. Yeah, God. I guess I'm going off on a tangent, Dr. John, but I do remember that day later on when we knew it was terrorism. I was standing uh, at a clubhouse at a golf course called Minicata in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it was so eerie because planes always pass over that area. It's right just a little north of the airport in uh, in uh, South Minneapolis. And it was so eerily quiet. It was unbelievable. It was terrifying, actually. Yeah, it had been close to 100 years since the skies have been that quiet. Yeah, that's well, that's exactly right. It's a very good way to put it. So so we make stuff up as we go. 50% of what you, you remember exactly. actually never even happened. Uh, you know what's interesting about that is you later find out if it becomes a news story the way you remembered it and it becomes a news story, all of a sudden everybody thinks you're a liar and you're not really lying because you do remember it that way. Right. Yeah, you're, you're not lying, in fact, and, and we make errors in encoding when we put information into our long-term memory. We make errors when we retrieve that, and then sitting in our long-term memory, there are also storage errors that happen. So, for example, if you're in a car accident, the police pull you over and start asking you all this stuff, you are like, my friend was Maine, the emergency people are here, you know, let me deal with that. The reality of it is that police officer needs to get you away from all those people and get your story told then because it'll never be as accurate as it is right at that moment. Those EMTs walk out and they start looking at the scene. They go, oh, my gosh, he must have been going 90 miles an hour. You were only going 45. But now in your mind, when they ask you how fast you're going, oh, gosh, I think it was close to 90 miles an hour. And it wasn't intentional, and it's not a lie. Well, but isn't some of that you're trying to make sense out of what at that point is just kind of nonsense? So, like, you'll have circumstances where people say things about lights where they weren't looking at the light when it happened. But as soon as it happens, everybody's like, well, why did that happen? And they look up and the lights change by then. So some of that is you're you're right. It's accurate at that time. But it also is in that middle period where people are trying to just come up with some sort of sense of reality. But see, that sense of reality, when you try to organize things to make sense, you're actually modifying the memory. So that police officer needs to be asking you those questions right then, and he's doing his job, or she's doing her job. And they're not trying to be jerks, but to get the best answer and to solve whatever legal issues or, you know, to keep this from happening again, they're doing the best they can do at that moment. You know what amazes me is in my, in my family, Dr. Huber, uh, my my oldest brother, I'm right in the middle of seven children. My oldest brother is nine wow. years older than me, and, and my youngest brother is, I believe, uh, got 13 years younger than I am. So there's a 22-year span. But the interesting thing, my father, my father was schizophrenic, and he was institutionalized when I was about uh, right around 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. I, I, that's another thing. I don't remember exactly when it was. I think I was 10 years old, though. Uh, right. But what's weird about that, Dr. Huber, is there was a lot of my father would see things and hear things, and he'd talk to people who weren't there and all that kind of stuff. Correct. But if you ask my brothers and sisters, all seven of us have a different story about how life was back then. Yeah. It's amazing. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. God, and none of you are lying. Not no, one of you is no. lying. God, how does so you just you, you try to survive with the information you have? Is it, is it just kind of a survival skill? Is that what it is? It, 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 it is. And what happens is, you know, you, your, your body, your mind is trying to make sense of who you are. And it tries mm-hmm. to justify part of that. We talk about ego integrity, the sense of self we have. And you're going to focus and hang on to the pieces of your memory that support your belief set as to who you really are. You know, Dr. Simple? Huber, I'm going, to have to call, I'm going to have to call you in as a special witness if I have a court case coming up. People just making things up as they go along and <laughs> not even intentionally. Well, I'm already, in court. I'm, I'm already in court on Tuesday, and then I'm in New York in court on Friday. And uh, so, yeah, you're going to have to go ahead of time. What do you end oh, up on court? Pardon me. What do you end up in court for? What do you do in court? Uh, expert witness for, for, for different things. Sometimes it's memory. Sometimes, you know, it's like... Uh, you know, I go in and I do assessments on child custody issues or on, on competency to stand trial, insanity, on risk for violence, those types of things. Okay. And I've got, a, Tuesday, I've got a person who was a sociopath, and I'm going in to testify. So are they mostly criminal, or are they commitments, or civil? They're both. I do, I do both, and I, I do prosecution and defense. So, okay. you know, I just, I just do the testing and whoever wants it done and I report the results. I don't, I don't manipulate the data or anything else. It's just, it is what it is. And uh, I get on both sides of the case. It just depends on which attorney calls me first. I have a question that's a little off track. I okay. used to, when I was younger, have such vivid dreams that I wake up in the morning and throughout the day I'd be... Uh, I'd, I'd convinced, I, I thought they were real. I mean, some parts of it were real. Somebody said this. I'd be mad at somebody because in my dream I had an argument with them or they did something crappy. And then I'd be like, well, you. And then I'd start realizing that was a dream. <laughs> you know, that, that's, yeah. not, that's not uncommon. They're actually called lucid dreams. And you can actually okay. train yourself and you should be able to Google lucid dreams. And, and uh, you, you can train yourself to start interacting when you're in your dreams as an adult now it's easier as a kid we don't have all these preconceived notions and you know that kind of stuff where we think things are certain ways like we do as an adult but you can kind of uncondition yourself and learn to take an active part in your dream and drive them whichever way you want a lot of times our dreams are rehearsal we think something traumatic is going to happen during the day and we dream that and we play different roles in that dream to practice how we would respond if it really happens in real life so, you know, it's interesting. It is interesting. It's really interesting. One, one thing I got to pass along to you, Dr. Hubert, what you just talked about. There, there are several people in Minneapolis, St. Paul area that do the exact same thing. Psychologists who go and testify for the defense, yeah. the prosecution, whatever. I got a call from him one time. And he goes, oh, my God, I hate you. And I said, what did I do? He goes, I'm in court. I'm testifying. And the perpetrator says, hey, are you the guy I hear on the Tom Bernard show? <laughs> That's really oh, seriously. It's phenomenal. The guy's like, that oh, my classic. God. It is wonderful. Is so classic. as we experience things, now I can be, you know, Catherine and I are sitting right next to one another. And if if somebody an hour from now asked us how that experience was to be on the show talking about this, I we probably would have two different reactions to it. And, and part of what I say and part of what she, she would say probably never even happened. <laughs> More likely. Well, uh, a small percentage. <laughs> well, the, first, 
<laughs> the further away Thanks from so it much. you get, the more more differences there will be. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's very, very true. Because I've seen it happen before. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not even close to what happened. Yes, it is. I remember distinctly. Right. And I went, no, that's not what happened. I don't know. It's uh, Well, and that's why we want body like, cams on police officers. Yes. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a great point. Do you? So I mean, how much traveling do you do to to uh, do these court cases and, and all this? Uh, you, you must be on the road constantly. Um, I average about 600, 600 miles a week. Oh, it's not God. too bad. Some weeks it's a lot more than others, but it averages out to be about six hundred miles a week. So now, how how far, like the castle you live in, how far is it to the main road from there? <laughs> Oh, oh, man, I back out onto the street about about 25 <laughs> feet. What are you talking about? <laughs> I just thought I'd put you on the spot just to find out if it was true or not. Yeah, my, my anyway. moat is a creek that you know drains off my ceiling, you know, a roof line right there when it rains. <laughs> I understand. I understand that. Do people, because I remember when I was a child, I went to see a psychologist about the very thing that my father was, you know, mentally ill and he was institutionalized. So I went uh-huh. to see a psychologist. And I remember back then it was like, oh, my God, you went to see a shrink? Um, it was like the worst thing you could do. I hope that's changed quite a bit since when the time I was a kid. Well, not as much as I wanted to. That's why I started mainstream mental health, to oh, try and destigmatize okay. mental health. And I try to encourage people to go see a psychologist or a therapist once a year, whether you think you need one or not. I mean, we go visit the dentist every year, whether we have cavities yeah. or not, sometimes twice a year. Yep. And what happens mm-hmm. is... That gives you a contact person. So maybe you don't have anything traumatic or stressful that you could get help with. But now if a friend of yours comes to you and you go, God, you need a therapist, instead of saying that, you can go, hey, I know this person. I've talked with him myself. And you go down and and you can make your introduce. People are less fearful of doing that. If you go, let's go find you a therapist. And everybody's like, oh, my God. But if you go, hey, I know this person. And Mm -hmm. I've talked to him myself. And all of a sudden people are much more willing to go. So it, it, it'll help you and your family and friends. If, if you just have a, you know, once a year, maybe once every other year, and you kind of know somebody, and if something does happen to you, now this therapist already knows what you're supposed to look like when everything's going great. So there's no question in their mind if they've got you back to where you need to be if your world starts to fall apart. All right, when you're in court next, say, you know who's a great guy? It's Tom Bernard. <laughs> Even if it's not true, just Tom say, Bernard. well, that's how I remember it. I definitely, definitely. And I can remember that. I mean, you know, you know, you, you have me back on because, because you like what I do, and I come back on the show yep. because I like the shows. I mean, there are some shows I don't go back on. I mean, that's just the way it yeah, is. Yeah, I love it. I love talking about it because I've always admired psychologists and sociologists and all these people that are just trying to help people out, and I, I, I really like what you Absolutely. do. No doubt about it. I appreciate it. Dr. John Huber, ladies and gentlemen, MainstreamMentalHealth.org. That's MainstreamMentalHealth.org. Dr. John, I hope we talk soon. I hope so, too. Thank you for helping me destigmatize mental health. I like it, sir. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for 
for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. If you're tired of feeling frustrated because your clothes don't fit like they used to, then Nutramost is for you. Thanks to the Sheehy brothers and staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I am down 92.5 pounds. The Nutramost program is amazing. I lost over 40 pounds during each of my first two 40-day rounds. You can have great success just like me because Nutramost is customized for each individual person, and the staff at Nutramost will be there for you every step of the way. Start your weight loss journey today and let Nutramost help change your life. Give yourself this wonderful gift or give this program as a present. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Nutramost helped me change my life and they can help you too. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. He's porno music for Joe. Mm. He just tweeted me while you were talking. Yeah. I love how Dog automatically knows that it's me taking shots at him. <laughs> it's a wonderful relationship. That's all I have to say. So you went, no to, you went to a psychiatrist in the 60s that used leeches uh, on I you? I know. Oh, that's the, yeah. No, I, I was the leech. That's true. Psychiatry was uh, very, very burgeoning for at the a time. kid, especially I mean, for a kid. Yeah, no, they had like nothing for kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were kids well, who got back then. It was like then that when they went to the psychiatrist, they basically slapped him and said, "You know, get over it." That that was what they did. Yeah, back then it was yeah. like mm-hmm. the psychiatry was like, "Were you molested by your mom or dad?" No. Well, then deal with it. Yeah. But the, kid, <laughs> yeah. the kids who saw them that were that were molested, yeah. they were told, "Get over it." That was their they solution. Were. They were, yeah. So, well, I'll tell you what. I was very, very lucky because it was 1969, the first time I went to see a man named Perry Roth. Wow. Um, just the nicest guy in the world. He was he was very giving and just a really caring guy. Just a wonderful guy. He's no longer with us, but his son Aaron and I still see I still see Aaron every couple of years or whatever. Really great guy. But uh, the great thing about Perry Roth was there was also a guy at the time named Percy Ross. I don't know if you guys, do you guys remember Percy, Percy Ross? Ross? That name sounds familiar. Percy Ross was a very wealthy man who in the Aquitennial Parade used to ride in a, a convertible and throw money oh. at people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember him? Mm-hmm. So everywhere I went with Perry, they'd hear his name and go, could you give me some money? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Perry Roth, Percy Ross, close enough. What's right? the difference? Oh, God, it was a wonder. Yeah, Perry was a very nice. He did so much for me just just looking at the world from a, from kind eyes. He's a very, very kind man. Great guy. Catherine, you, you met him. Yes. Yeah, he's just a wonderful guy. He used to have me come and because uh, uh, he was a nice Jewish boy. So he'd come and have me read the Seder <laughs> at, uh, you know, Passover. Wow. And he loved it when I when I would read quotes because my hero and I, people go, ah, oh, yeah, all of a sudden he's your hero. He always has been. Martin, he would have me read quotes from Martin Luther King at the Seder. 
So did you read it with an accent or did you? I went, free at last, free at last. No, I did it like Philip. Tommy, let me tell you something about Martin Luther King Jr. Let me tell you what's going on. No, it was quite an honor to do that because, again, the greatest quote in history for me is, judge people not by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I don't think any quote will ever beat that quote. Probably because true. nobody's paying attention to it 50 years later. Mm. Like, would you pay attention? That'd be good, wouldn't it? I'm assuming that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, but I, it, it's, it's, I just wish we could do that. And it's not a political statement. It's not about race. It's not about anything. It's just about could you just treat people the same? Doesn't matter what color they are. If they have good character, treat them well. That's all. It's, there's nothing political about that. Just treat people with character well. It's a good thought, isn't it? It's a good plan. Yes. Now, let me just point this out. It's a disc jockey telling you that. So what does that tell you? You talk about lack of character in that business. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying. Oh, come oh. on. No, when you think about <laughs> it, you're, it's like selling cars. I mean, how often do disc jockeys wind up in legal trouble? It's, it's very rare, right? Uh, not for They're me, generally, it's not. Well... <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean. I mean, they're never the ones that run off with the money or, you know, embezzle all no, the funds no, no, or murder somebody. No, it's, that's true. They got their own little that shenanigans they get involved in. Yeah. yeah. Well, they do, yeah, and I don't get involved in any of that stuff, and my stuff has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with the fact that I must be punished for becoming successful without going to college in, in the state of Minnesota. They love doing that. I don't know what the hell that's all about. But oh, they, I'm they sure do. it's they, all they, the they... college professors over at the U sitting around in a room drinking vodka going, how are we going to get Tom? <laughs> no, that was Lastman's dad. <laughs> uh, Lastman's father was a great guy. He was a college professor at the University of Minnesota. Very, very bright man. I don't know what the hell happened to John because his mother and father are both very bright. So he hit the wall. I don't know what the hell happened there, but... No, I always admired him because he was he was very liberal, but not in an in a an intolerant way or a judging way. Do you remember what, really what nice John's man. dad, what his field was, what he taught? I I I, would, I can't remember. Um, yeah, he was a psychologist of some kind. I don't know. No, that, was, that was my dad. So John and I. Yeah, your dad. Your dad did we it. We went at to Harvard, the same right? high school, and well, and that's how we wound up in Minnesota. He taught at the U of M for about fifteen years as well. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why we're here. I did not know that. It was either the U of M or Biloxi, Mississippi. Biloxi, Mississippi. And this is in 1971. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, let's head to Biloxi. Not a lot going really, on. Yeah, two and... people. So I'd be talking like this. No, I wouldn't be done. Never mind. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. I got, my, I got my wife singing them good old black work songs. That'd be you now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It sounded like Tony <laughs> Joe White. <laughs> Some of y'all never been no, down no, south no, too down much. Down too I love Tony Joe. He just died a little while ago. Yeah, I think it was just ago, last year, year wasn't it? Unfortunately, uh, because I always loved Tony Joe White. But, uh, no, I, I just... Um, the whole thing, because you know what's interesting, Michael, is that people always say that what you went to see a psychologist when you were a teenager. Oh yeah, I, there was a major stigma to did. it. Yeah, well, an Eagleton yeah. got knocked out of the race because he saw one. You know, it's That's very right. funny that you mentioned that. So yeah. It's true. You're crazy. I was at Target getting at the optometrist, and the guy was about my age, and we started talking. And his dad was a psychiatrist, and he gave Eagleton the shock treatments. Oh, did he? What a wow. weird small world was. Hmm. This guy was well, a vice no, presidential uh, candidate in 1972. 
Yeah. Well, the big scandal is that it turns out he'd been yep. treated for depression, and that just blew McGovern's And the, and the fear way. the fear was the Russians were going to control That's him. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, really? That, that hasn't gone treatment. anywhere, has it? Yeah, that, they would control oh. us somehow. So when you go back to that, oh, well, God. you know. Oh, isn't that long ago? <laughs> yeah. Have we learned anything? So, what do you think John Wayne would have thought about psychiatry? <laughs> oh my God! Well, if you're some kind of nut job yeah. goofball, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure that's that's probably true. But well, no, I, I I think the reason that that I didn't have any problem with doing that is because I would go visit my father not very often because he was in literally behind bars, so people my age didn't get to go see him very often. But uh, you know, my father was. You know, in analysis from the time I was, like I said, nine, ten years old, something like that. Yeah. So it seemed like a good thing to me, and it still does seem like a good thing to me. That's why we have Dr. John Huber on all the time, because I like his very human approach to it, saying Let, let's destigmatize psychoanalysis and you know psychiatry, because it is very, very good stuff. And they're not going to go in your head and go. You should drop your pants when I tell you the secret word. Yeah, it's none of that. What? So yeah, I don't know. Where did that oh, come I'm from? from? Yeah. Oh, you never heard about that? No. Oh, yeah, people wouldn't go to say, well, they hypnotize you and make you do all kinds of stuff like bury your penis. And, what? <laughs> you have been hanging around with people from Biloxi. Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, <laughs> I suppose. Yikes. No, I do remember that. Maybe it's because I, you know, but I do remember people thought. Wow. That they would hypnotize you and make you do all kinds of weird stuff to benefit them. Mm. People thought. Well, there's, there's been, yeah, there's. I been... think that's a Catholic Church, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God. Here's the Episcopalian. Various levels of, of uh, things that have come up about, you know, using leeches or they use uh, right. hypnosis right. or they cr- plant memories that don't really exist. And so I worked, all sorts in, a, of I worked in a mental health hospital for that's right, four years before mm-hmm. I got into the car business. And I, I got to know all the nursing staff really well. And some of the old nurses that worked in the state hospitals in the 40s and 50s would talk about the treatments back then. Uh. So in the 1950s, if you were severely depressed, almost like non-communicative, and shock treatments didn't work, they had another treatment for you. They'd take a bath and they'd fill it With full ice. of ice water yeah. and hold you in there for 20 minutes. Then oh, waterboard yeah. you. That's right. Basically. No, they would let you breathe. I don't think they stuck your head under. It's like, man. Why'd they let them breathe? What's the fun in that? Yeah. You just shock the system. Huh. So mental health is just, always the last of the, the health professions to get any sort of modernization. Yeah. Fire you right yeah. back up. Everything no, no. connect again. <sighs> yeah. Ice no, water. you're absolutely right about that. Uh uh, by the way, Joe's not letting up. He now sends, yeah, well, that explains Doug. <laughs> oh, here we go. He's, he's going after Don't you Don't you have some cars Polly. to build? Yeah. <laughs> I have some Fords to build. I don't know. I, 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 I find that stuff interesting, the people. And I, he's absolutely right because people love to think other people are lying, but in a lot of cases they're not lying. That's actually how they remember things. Yeah. So they're not lying, but a lot of people can't grasp that. Yeah. Well, some people, you know they get I mean? tell the same story enough times, that becomes the story in mm-hmm. their head. That's and, very true. Well, you must deal with that all the time. It, it comes up, yeah. And and it's interesting when cases where you get to the point where at the end of it, the defendant completely believes they didn't do anything wrong whatsoever. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah oh, clearly yeah. you did, but okay. <laughs> well, Michael, you a perfect do. example of that. What mm-hmm. we're talking about here is Juan Corona, the guy who oh, the hatcheted machete. and macheted machete. people to 
25 people. And just a few years ago, he died uh, I, I, Monday or Tuesday at 85 years old. But just a few years ago, he was interviewed. He said, you know, I don't remember killing anybody. Nope. Wow. So that's what he said. That would be like, machete. Oh that's some heavy medication right there. <laughs> yeah. It's a case for Thorazine. Yeah, that's right. I don't remember. It. Well, but it's he, going into, he, what is it called? A fugue state? Denial. No denial. No, fugue like state. going yeah, that's into a, a thing. fugue state where it's like you just don't, you yeah. do things, but you don't remember what you did. Mm-hmm. That happens. That's called. I wish I did that with my entire radio year. career. Really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right about that. But yeah, that stuff fascinates me, how people handle things differently. And it does have a lot to do with how intelligent you are and how sensitive you are. If you were ever beaten as a child, you'll remember things differently. That was a fascinating part to me that I learned a long time ago, is that children of abuse have completely different memories of life than their siblings. Oh sure. It's amazing. Well are you still are you still watching are you watching This Is Us anymore? No. Oh, okay. Uh, couple, should I? A couple of weeks ago they had a show where the the siblings had a completely different version of the same day. What they thought of yeah. dad that day, what they thought dad did that day. It was it was very interesting to just see the different versions. And they were all correct from their standpoint. It's just that they focused on different parts of it. Simpsons did it. Oh, Simpsons did it. Yes, okay. they did. Okay. <laughs> Simpsons <laughs> has done everything. Really? Well, that's true. That's absolutely true. But uh, as Dougie pointed out, James Woods High School on Family Guy. James Woods. <laughs> That's That's cool. So I want to know, what are James Woods' texts like? Yeah. He's, uh, he's brief in general. Okay. He doesn't babble on and on and on. And he, uh, he's actually a pretty decent guy. He, well, he, he seems like an okay guy. Just every today. once in a while, he gets kind of really mean. You know, he just says some things yeah, that does. are just like, That's just really mean, you know? We had him on. I can't remember the, what was the last TV show he had. Uh, we used to have him on for that show all the time. God, he was a, he was an investigator or an attorney or something like that. It was mm-hmm. on for a couple of years. Pretty good show actually. James Wood starred in it, so that's where I, I, you know, I had talked to him a couple of times, but then I started talking to him quite a bit. And it's not like I talk to him every day. I just you know once in a while exchange texts with him. It's probably been a couple of years now since the last one, but. I don't know. He's all whipped up now about this Ilan Omar. Yeah, I guess he's the, the big reason anti- that he tech. Yeah. So he, I, I assume the reason he's texting to me is because she is a congresswoman from Minnesota, and she's matter of fact, she's my congresswoman. She is your congresswoman. She is absolutely so. Uh, I'm very happy about that. And Doug, I just. Oh, by the way, uh, congresswoman, I don't know any Jews, so you know. <laughs> Doug just showed God. me a um, headline that was like, she. Oh, gosh, I wish I remembered what it said. It said, like, she withdraws support of an earth-saving bill because that's because she found out that's where... Um, oh, my God. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> what a great story. Yeah, I know. That was what fun. a great story. Doug, Doug what did you show? <laughs> she, he left. He left. He had enough, and he's like, Where's I'm he? out of here. He he's just... probably getting his guest for... Yeah. Does he have to poop? No. Oh, God. Getting his guest. Ah, come on. Let's make fun of Doug while he's gone. Mm-hmm. Let's take advantage of this moment. Have you seen his beard? Uh, yeah. No. He's, he's got, got a beard, a beard now. now. Doug has a beard. He has a beard. Mm-hmm. Yep. beard. Oh, I don't know if I could take that. I don't know if I can handle it. That's all I have to say. Um, no, I, I'm sure that Doug's going to want to be here for Mark Spitz. Mark Spitz, our special guest, in just a couple of seconds, as a matter of fact. I cannot wait to talk to him. What? What? It was that 1968. 72, when he wore 72. is what we came up 72. with. 72. Oh. Okay. 
72, he won, what, seven gold medals, yeah, I believe? Yeah, he, yep. he was it. Handsome as hell guy. He was in very athletic shape, just a great swimmer, great athlete. He had it all cooking. And then I do remember some people um, actually turned on him when they found out he was a Jew. Jews don't right. swim. Yep. Like, what? What do you mean Jews don't swim? Okay. You know, the world has gotten a lot better in the last 50 years, whether people want to believe it or not. It is true. It's gotten better. We will take a break here. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes. I'm hoping that Mark Spitz will call in right on time. I cannot wait to talk to him. We'll be back. Oh, he's ready. Excellent. Well, good that he heard me say how excited I am to talk to him. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with Mark Spitz, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here. Hey, let me ask you. Do you know me because you recognize my voice or my face? Good question, isn't it? Let me ask you another one. What do you think when I say priority courier experts? Do you know them because you recognize their trucks or do you know them by their name? Well, let me tell you something you might not know about my friends at Priority. 485 local drivers, 85 office staff, 37 million deliveries since 1997, and an opportunity for you to join their company. Drivers, you can join the fleet in your own vehicle or lease to own one of theirs. Or you can join the office staff and earn the most respectable pay in the business with 15 days off in your first year. Medical, dental, matching 401k, and a genuine chance for advancement. Just ask Robbie, who started in sales and is now director of recruitment. Over 5,000 Minnesota companies rely on priority because every time you call us, we deliver. Join the team today at Priority.com. That's Priority.com. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry, This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. You light me up yourself, the reggae is another band. You light me up Oh, she does carry your band, doesn't she, Doug? Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Very good. Um, is Michael still with us, isn't he? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, because I just, I just thought I, I just got a text from you, but I, I didn't I sent you the picture of Doug's beard. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll take a gander at it. Ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest, Mark Spitz, joins us. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me. It's our great pleasure, as a matter of fact. Uh, Holocaust Education Film Foundation, Mark Spitz, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Now, this is a guy... I was, I believe, 20 years old when he uh, seven gold medals, Mr. Spitz. That was rather impressive. You kind of, you kind of tended to dominate the field that year, don't you think? Well, it appeared to be until Michael Phelps came along about 36 years later. So, <laughs> I suppose you had, that's you true. had a good run. But that's, o- that, that's okay. <laughs> yes, it is okay. Time moves. You know, time marches on. That's a fine thing. A nonprofit dedicated to preserving the impactful stories of Holocaust survivors through film and interactive online community and educational programs. The foundation officially launched on January 27th, International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Mark Spitz, one of the most decorated U.S. Olympians, as HEFF's national spokesperson and a board member. I must tell you to start the conversation, Mr. Spitz, that my lovely wife Catherine and I 
went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. a few years ago with our children. Yeah. It is one of the saddest moments of my life. I cannot, I can still feel what it's like to, to go into the Holocaust Museum, particularly going into that uh, boxcar full of little children's shoes. It was unbelievable. Very impactful. Well, it, it certainly is. Uh, yeah, there's no question about it. I, I just, uh, you know, and I, I, what I'd rather do is follow along with you because I have a million questions about this that, and the other thing and how some people deny it ever happened. Or, but I, I just like to stay on, on topic with you and what you want to talk about because there, there are so many things that I could, I could talk to you about, but I want to follow your lead if that's okay. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's perfectly fine. I, I want to thank you for having me on. I'm, listen, there are a lot of people that are naysayers that say that this didn't happen. And the way it's taught in school a lot of times, it's a byline. It's just a soundbite. There were six million people that got killed. And, oh, by the way, four, four million of them were Jewish people, and the rest of them were gypsies and anybody else they wanted to round up. And the problem is, is that if we don't talk about this stuff and we don't document these things that are real true stories, and these survivors are getting to be fewer and farther between because they're obviously getting much older and the stories firsthand won't be able to be told anymore. So the idea of our Holocaust Education Film Foundation is to put these stories in documentary form uh, so that people can download these things and view them and learn from their experiences. I mean, some of the people that are survivors were survivors because the Americans came in and liberated the camps, but there are really great stories there about the first story that we did with this guy named Joe Ingle. He was being transported from one concentration camp to another to be exterminated, and he took the leap of faith and jumped off this train. He saw an opportunity, and we talk about that. He was shot at and injured himself, and, and yet he comes to America and becomes productive in, in the community and a community leader and, and how he affects people in a positive way. And their stories go way beyond just the horrific things that they escaped the ultimate, which was death, but they, they became people that, that uh, in society are, are counted on and looked at in a positive way. Their stories are, are told in a positive way, not a negative way. And I think that the more people that are educated about these things that took place, then they're not feel f fearful of these things and that they'll stand up for the people's rights. I mean, we have Holocaust type of events that are happening as we speak. Um, and, and so these things are continually happening, maybe not in the millions of people, but in the tens of thousands of people. Sure. And we, there are countless sure. stories over the last couple of years that we, we see in the news. Yeah, no question about that. I'm, I'm very happy to tell you uh, I'm very proud of her, her family. My lovely wife's father, who's now 92 years oh, old, 90. he was, what, 18 or 19 years old. He helped to liberate uh, death camps when he was a teenager. Yes, he did. He was uh, an Army soldier, and he liberated a camp, and he, it's definitely stayed with him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's overwhelming, the numbers, uh, when you think about it. Um, I mean, Steven Spielberg basically brought a lot to everyone's attention through the movie Cinder's List, and he used uh, money, 100% of the proceeds, to start a thing called the Shoah Foundation, which he's got over 50,000 people that he's interviewed that were in the Holocaust that survived. But they're basically soundbite um, questions, um, and you can sit down and whittle through them, and they're very interesting. When we took it one step further and basically made it into documentaries, so certainly we can't do or we'd like to be able to do all 50,000 of those people, but they're not, some of most of them are not around anymore to talk to. 
Um, but, you, you know, you, you can't educate people with, an, I mean, you know, there's, more information is good in this case. And so we just are complementary what Steven Spielberg did. Um, and these kids uh, that are learning about the Holocaust in school can basically view these films and come away with, with some story. And it's an impact. It's a very visceral experience. And, and that's the whole point of what we're trying to accomplish here. Marty, I'd like to ask you a question, and if you don't want to answer the question, it's fine. Uh, I, I just, um, it, it confuses me because we're going through a situation in, in America right now, but particularly in, in Europe, Western Europe, there's a rise in anti-Semitism, and the reason I even bring it up is because Jews were slaves back in those days, and you would think that the people that had been enslaved would be looked upon with 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 some sorrow instead of what why does that happen about every 50 years what is that all about i don't i don't understand it mr spitz well you could call me mark my father was known as mr spitz um, <laughs> i'm not okay, so sure I, I'm, I, I'm not i'm not so sure that there's an increase I think that what we've seen in the last 50 years is a thing called social media, yeah. so that we've got yeah. mm -hmm. a track of Humvees following a war, like when President Bush was in office, you know, and then CNN was following the war, and those guys from both sides were saying, well, let's don't launch the rockets over by those guys in the Humvees because we want our side actually captured on film. We want to be on the news at 8 o'clock at night. I mean, we're brought so much information. Now, in some cases, that's great, and in some cases, it's terrible. I mean, it's great if you want to buy a new car. It tells you which ones are bad out there, and it keeps the car manufacturers honest about having a bunch of, you know, cars that aren't, aren't safe. But, but it's not great when it comes to information that's misinformation. It's called fake news or whatever it is. And I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing more and more awareness of people that hate people, and we're broadcasting that. And whether or not it's, it's in politics or it's in religious affairs or anything for that matter, and we as people uh, owe it to ourselves to educate ourselves enough to be able to sift through and filter what we're hearing is saying, well, you know, it's an interesting story, but from my knowledge, they're way off, you know, in the left field or right field on that storyline. And there are so many people that in America sit back and watch TV on their couch and just believe that everything that they're told is accurate, and it's not the case. You know, and I think this is how it propagates, you know, anti-Semitism mm -hmm. and anti-whatever you want to be involved in. You can find an ant, you can blog anti-something and tag along <laughs> to your heart's content about something, you know, mm -hmm. like anti-shoelaces or something. <laughs> so, so, Mark, do you feel like there's more... Or do you just feel like there's more information out there about what's being said out there in the world? Well, there's more information. The question is, is it accurate? I mean, right. Point in case. I mean, just look at uh, just look at Cohen on, on TV. You know, now he wants to tell the truth, but they're saying, well, how can I believe that you're telling the truth when you lied to us before? You know, I mean, so I'm even having a hard time trying to figure out what it is. But do you feel like, through what you've been through in your life, do you feel like there's more anti-Semitism going on now? Or it's just being publicized more, or that there's more outlets for it now? I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm not here to actually talk about the statistics of sure. anti-Semitism. I mean, I think it always right. has existed. Right. 
I think that we become more aware of it because of what I just sort of mentioned, that we're aware of more information and data, either from the Internet or what we watch on TV or what we read in newspapers. Um, and, and I think because of that, um, people are left to make their own opinion about whether or not there is more or there isn't. Uh, if, if there's something that people don't like, they usually open up their mouth and they make a voice about it. Like if there's too much taxes, then they complain to their congressman and uh, they try to do something about it. And if there are more and more people that don't like what they see about atrocities that are happening and the persecution of others, I just say speak up about it to somebody rather than keep it in and then internalize and then get sidetracked to actually be part of a group that basically hates people. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no question. Mark, I, I, one thing I'm going to tell you, I'm a few years younger than you, not not many years younger than you, but I, I was very lucky in the fact that I grew up uh, a young boy and a teenager. I lived in a neighborhood that was, you know, Catholic, black, and Jewish. You know, the, and the Catholics lived in one area, the blacks another, and the Jews another area in North Minneapolis. And I remember as a little boy, uh, it took me a while to, to understand why some of the older Jews in my neighborhood had tattoos on their arms, because you would see them all the time back then. This is, you know, in the 1950s, 19, early 1960s. So it had a great impact on me uh, when we did go to the Holocaust Museum, when I, you know, you do see Schindler's List. And all, it, those, those memories come flooding back, these really, really decent, nice people, and I just couldn't understand why these people were all had tattoos of numbers on their arms. And when I did learn why, I wasn't too happy about it. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So it, there's a personal thing for me in it as well, because these were all very decent, nice, very smart people. They're just the sweetest people in the world. So I've been carrying that with me my whole life, as I'm sure y you have, you know? Well, you know, there's, uh, when you see somebody that actually has that tattoo on there, and by the way, these aren't pretty tattoos. I mean, there's numbers no, that no, no. just taste somebody. I mean, it's sort of um, amazing. I mean, listen, we point this out in these documentaries. I mean, one of the first things that the people that we interview and uh, the documentaries about, basically, I, I can't say that, I, I mean, I guess the word is, they proudly display their tattoo because it is a mm -hmm. part of who they are. Not that they went out to get it, but they survived it. And I think that's right. the takeaway here. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I think never forget is a very important part of that. They, will, they, they never did forget, and we should never forget. I think it's a great lesson. Yeah, it, it, it really is, you know, and I, I, I thank you for allowing me to come on and just talk about this, you know. I mean, we're trying to raise as much money as we can so that we can do as many of these films before it's, they're no longer around to, to be made. That is terrific. Uh, Mark, I also do a, a, a morning show in, uh, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I'd love to book you on that show as well if I, if I could reach out. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I'm on the website. You can get a hold of me. I'll get that done. Mark, thank you very much, sir. Have a wonderful day. Okay, thank you. Bye. Mark Spitz, yeah, his, his producer said he had to move on. Oh. Yeah, I, I had a friend in when I was in junior high, I think I met her. And her mother was a Holocaust survivor. And I remember the, the, her telling me some stories about about it. She must have been pretty you know, young when she was there. And I remember not believing her 
Yeah. Because yeah. I couldn't believe that people could act like this. It could be that horrible. What I, well, you know what I really enjoyed about that interview, Doug? Tell us, Tom. <laughs> when he yelled at Mike. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm not here to like, talk about that. No. I didn't feel like he yelled at me. But okay. Yes, he, he did. Whether he did or not, I'm saying you did. Yeah. So, well, I, I, I just found that real interesting because he's been through a lifelong, you know, like you said, the backlash that he got once people realized he was Jewish. And it's like, wait, yeah, he's Jewish. Yeah. I just found out today, him? actually. Yeah. I had no idea. But... So I, I'm just interested it's if not he feels true. like it's a big deal, you know, or, or a yeah. big, it's yeah. always a big deal. But whether or not there's just more attention given to it now. You know, so I think um, if you want to, you can find a sizable population, like you said, who hates anything. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's true. But the but if you feel like that always existed that. and you always see it, it's kind of like you know that's just there's nothing new about it. Um, no. Or the, there is a whole uprise, and we got a whole bunch of new crazies out there. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, because there, it is on the rise around the world, particularly in Western Europe, Eastern Europe, uh, somewhat in the United States. I mean, we have our own problems right now because of my congresswoman. Uh, I just, I, it just amazes me. Could you leave Jews? How many Jews are there in the world? Like 10 million, maybe? I think, yeah. 12 million? It's, it's a number like that, I, I believe. It's not a lot of people. So for, for 10 or 12 million people to be looked down upon by so many people going, oh, my God, they're hor-. Settle down. That was, Good that was, God. As a kid, that was always my favorite thing when they do an exchange. And they exchange, like, 200 soldiers for, like, one Israeli soldier. Yeah, but Israelis are <laughs> tough, right? That was so cool. I just, you yeah, know, those exchanges were, like, my favorite things. <laughs> Now, Mike, are you going to stay for the Doug Sprinthal? You certainly I know can. Anything no, about I, I would love to, but i got to go back to work. So. Mm. Oh, you do see, not. I do. Lies all so, lies. Yeah. He's got a real job. What is it? Hey, hey. Yeah, what is it? Yeah, yeah what is it? I some days ask yeah. myself. Yeah. Some days I ask uh, myself well, that. I love the fact you came in today. I wish you'd come in more often. Well, it was fun, although Alex didn't talk very much. I didn't. So. I've been in a weird Finding out about Bell, I'm just kind of yeah. like, uh, makes sense. Bell, yeah. Yeah. It's try not to think about it. Melancholy oh, state, so. a little bit. Yeah, I suppose that I imagine that is. Yeah, it's a tough situation. I I can't even look at her on the on the FaceTime. It's like, oh god. Yeah, no. yeah mom's coming here to see her, and Dan, dad's like, nope, I'm far away. Well, That's where yeah. I want to be. I'm like. Oh, honest to God, I will never forget that little scared girl when we got her as a rescue. And she was so terrified, and we just, well, she just took to the family immediately. Let's remember, she's been queen, she's been queen of the world for seven (laughs) solid years. Seven, eight years, she's been queen of the world. She's been running the show. (laughs) It is true, Belle. Living in comfort. We love Belle. We'll take a break. We'll be back with, what's your name again? Doug something? Car Selling (laughs) Secrets. We'll be back, Tom Bernard Show. And now time for the Car Selling Secret Show in just a couple minutes.